from WSCFM and HG1 Columbia. I'm Justin Walsh. And I'm Lydia Blackstone. This is Politically Inclined from WUSC News. Coming up on this week's show, we'll talk with State House Representative Gilda Cobb Hunter from Orangeburg, South Carolina. We're talking about Biden's pick of California Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. Why is this pick so big, and how will this pick affect voters here in South Carolina? Also, what's behind this political debacle over the United States Postal Service, and how the USPS could affect the results of November's election? USC political science professor Kirk Rendazzo is here to discuss that with us later in the show. All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Politically Inclined. First, the news. Live from WUSC News, I'm Kaylee Olivas. The Republican National Convention kicked off in Charlotte today. President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence both made appearances today to rally the few supporters that were allowed to attend in the Charlotte Convention Center. The convention will last until Thursday, and the president is expected to speak during all four days of the event. The Gamecock football team is facing yet another setback this season after one of their top recruits sustained a season-ending injury last week. As WUSC's Nick Harvey reports, the running back from Delaware tore his ACL in a practice on Wednesday. The Gamecocks released heartbreaking news last Wednesday when head football coach Will Muschamp addressed the media on starting running back Marshawn Lloyd. Will Muschamp said that Lloyd was ruled out for the season with a torn ACL that he received on the second day of camp. The Gamecocks will now likely look to veteran running backs Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick to carry the workload in the backfield. Between these two veteran backs, a combined total of 13 games have been played. For WUSC News, this is Nick Harvey. Although new coronavirus cases have decreased recently, health officials are still recommending the public wear masks and continue to social distance. In Greenville, however, an early hot spot in South Carolina for the pandemic, case numbers are trending downward. WUSC's Ward Jollis reports. As coronavirus cases continue to rise in South Carolina, a couple glimmers of hope this week. Greenville, once the state's biggest hotspot, is now seeing a steady decrease in its number of coronavirus cases. This coming after the city instated a mask-wearing mandate in June, following huge spikes in the area after Memorial Day celebrations. Statewide, new daily case numbers are now hovering around 700 a day, a huge decrease from the over 2,000 cases in late July. While DIAC is cautioning that the decrease is being caused in part by less testing, health officials believe that mask wearing in the Palmetto State is starting to pay off. Wardjalis, WUSC News, Columbia. An unlikely hero in the fight against racism on our campus. One USC band freshman used his instrument as a way to silence the hate speech from an anti-Black Lives Matter protester on Green Street on Friday. As WUSC's Spencer Buckler reports, that student is seeing it pay off tremendously. One USC student is getting free pizza until the time he graduates, after showing up to a campus protest with his trombone. Dozens of USC students protested on Green Street Friday afternoon against a man holding up a sign that read, quote, BLM are racist thugs and, quote, BLM rent a riot. In the crowd was first-year student Trey Hogan. Hogan would interrupt the man by playing his trombone every time he began to speak. 
After videos of Hogan gained attention online, Village Idiot owner Brian Glynn mentioned Hogan on Twitter and said that he will give him free slices until he graduates or until the time he turns 25. USCPD was at that protest for much of the afternoon. The man with the sign was escorted off of Green Street by police right before 4 p.m. Spencer Buckler, WUSC News, Columbia. Although the Democratic National Convention looked a bit different this year, a Democratic candidate was selected. Former First Lady Michelle Obama and even some Republican Party candidates made an appearance as well. As WUSC's Abigail Brandon reports, Joe Biden addressed Trump in his speech, along with what he wants for this country. The Democratic National Convention was held virtually this year from August 17th to 20th. All of the top six major Democratic primary candidates spoke, as well as other notable members of the party, such as Michelle Obama and Columbia's House Representative Jim Clyburn. Democrats were not the only group to speak, as major Republican names such as John Kasich and Colin Powell also made appearances. Joe Biden was officially nominated as the Democratic presidential candidate with his running mate, Kamala Harris. Biden spoke on the fourth and final night of the convention. He emphasized unity and made scathing remarks about the effects of the Trump administration on America's working class. The Republican National Convention will begin today, August 24th, and will end Thursday, August 27th. It will be held partially online and partially in person with increased hygiene measures. With WUSC News, I'm Abigail Brandon. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 378 points today. The Nasdaq rose about 67 points, and the S&P 500 rose 34 points. It's currently 73 degrees outside with showers in the area and a low of 71 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 84 with a low of 73. I'm Kaylee Olivas, and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 612. Spurs up, mass up, Gamecocks. I'm University of South Carolina student body president Izzy Rushton. And I'm President Bob Caslin. Let's prevent the spread of COVID-19. Keep your distance, no matter the location. Get tested. Wash your hands. Wear face coverings. In class and on campus, in restaurants, and in every social setting around Columbia. And take the I Pledge Columbia promise. We are Gamecocks, so spurs up. Masks up, Gamecocks. We'll We'll get get through through this this together. together. You're listening to Politically Inclined from WUSC News. I'm Lydia Blackstone. California Senator Kamala Harris had a strong showing in last week's Democratic National Convention, leaving voters with a lot to think about 71 days out from November's general election. Harris is the first woman of color to accept a major party nomination for vice president. Her candidacy is historic, to say the least. However, Harris has received some scrutiny from people within the Democratic Party. Here now with me to discuss what Biden's pick of Kamala Harris means for South Carolina is State House Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter. Representative Cobb-Hunter, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, to start it off, um, why is this such a big pick? It's a big pick for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, she is quite capable and competent as far as handling the role of vice president. It's also important, in my view, because we made history here with this pick on the Democratic 
party side. We have for the first time a woman of color who if we're successful in November will become the first woman of color to serve as vice president of the United States. And for those eternal optimists in the event the Biden-Harris ticket wins, we are possibly looking at the first woman of color who would become president or who has a good shot at becoming president. But what I really like about the pick is that because she is a mix, she is Jamaican, she is Indian, she appeals across the board to more than just black women. She appeals to immigrants. Her story is the American story. And I look forward to voters hearing about uh, Kamala Harris. You and Miss Harris um, share a similarity is that you also had a historic um, nomination oh. into the um, state house. Yes, that's right. Um uh, Miss Cobb Hunter sitting here. She was the first African American from Orangeburg to be in the House of Representatives here in South Carolina. So this run uh, hits close to home with you for sure. What do you? What does this personally mean to you as a woman of color yourself? Oh, it, it, it is so refreshing and affirming. Uh, it's just a really, um, I, I was just beaming. I'm still beaming. Uh, I have talked with women who cried uh, because of the emotion associated with it. For me, it's just been a matter of pride. I had to listen for a minute when you said that I shared something with Senator Harris because I don't see myself in the same league, of course, with Senator Harris. But I am just proud as a woman of color. I'm proud as an elected official. But what I'm most proud of is that Kamala Harris can do the job. It's not just about color. It's about competence. And when we look at what is happening at the federal level, when we look at some of the things that will need to be remedied, cleaned up, I think the Biden-Harris team is the team to get that done. Clearly, this pick comes after months of Black Lives Matter protests coming after the death of George Floyd. Do you think that this pick uh, would have been different if those protests didn't happen? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, there, The optimist in me would like to believe that it would have come about had it not been for all of the protests. I'm not so sure. I really don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, I am glad that the vice president chose someone who he thought first and foremost could step in day one in the event that something happened and he could uh, be uh, perform the duties. But I'm, I'm not sure. But I tell you one thing, I am so impressed and so thrilled with the Black Lives Matter movement and with the protests that are happening across the country. It gives me hope because I see so many different races of people out there protesting. So when I see that kind of multiracial support and marching and all of that that I'm seeing, um, it gives me confidence and hope that perhaps we finally in this country will deal with the issues of race and the systemic racism that pervades our society. Yes. Uh, so Kamala Harris, um, she um, had a past um, that has been talked a lot about mm-hmm. her in her um, legal proceedings, all that before. Um, and that some say it may have killed her campaign for president herself. Do you think <laughs> that her with this past is still an ideal nomination to represent not only African-Americans, but also women? Well, and of course, I'd have to ask 
ask you what you mean by her past. I'm assuming that you're talking about her role as a prosecutor. Yes, ma'am. She served as district attorney and as well as attorney general. Quite frankly, I am not bothered by her past. I am one who believes that we don't need to have all people of color be on the defense side. We need men and women of color who are prosecutors, who are district attorneys, who can use the discretion that comes with being a prosecutor or attorney general in deciding what cases to pursue, when to use discretion. And so I'm not one of these people who believe all of our legal eggs ought to be in one basket, and that's on the defense side of the table. I think there is ample room for people of color to serve as prosecutors. And quite frankly, I wish more would go into that arena because these decisions about who to prosecute, who not to prosecute, particularly in this climate with the violence we are seeing being perpetrated upon men and women of color by police officers, we need some people of color in those decision-making roles to, to make the case for either not bringing charges or bringing charges. So I don't think her past will hurt her at all. And in the event the Biden-Harris ticket is successful in November, I think she is well on her way to making people understand her role and why that was important. To bring it back a little closer to home here in South Carolina, what's the support been like? It's been it's been good as far as I can tell. Of course, there were so many Democrats on the in the uh, Democratic primary. Senator Harris dropped out of the South Carolina primary. Well, she dropped out of the race before the South Carolina presidential primaries, the end of February. But what I am hearing and sensing from people that I talk with is a level of excitement about her candidacy. Bottom line is people just want to win in November, and they are willing to do what needs to be done to ensure a Democratic victory, not just at the presidential level, but we really must take control of the Senate, hold on to the House. And here at the state level, I am so hopeful that we will be able to close the gap in the House and reclaim some seats because we have redistricting uh, coming up in 2021. And we will need to be um, make sure we have some Democrats who have won some seats or we will be reduced to minority status for the next 20 years, in my view. Yes. And so what do you think that Kamala Harris is going to bring to the Joe Biden presidency if that in case happens? I think what she will bring to the ticket, you, you're asking what will she bring to the to the president? What she will bring to the Biden ticket is, of course, an entree into into a world that he does not have automatic entree in. And by that, I'm talking about the world of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, the immigration community. I'm hearing from a lot of Indian uh, women and men how excited they are. Uh, It's just a level of excitement and she can be the, usually the role of the vice president is to kind of be the attack dog. Her prosecutorial experience, I think, will lend itself quite well to her being able to defend the Biden administration uh, when it was Obama-Biden. So I think she brings a lot of skills uh, to that ticket that they uh, the vice president can benefit from. 
One last question for you. Do you think that there will be a um, President Harris in the future? I mean, we've seen Joe Biden was a vice president himself. Do you think that's in the future? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Of course, the future is is the future. We have no way of knowing. But in the event, let, let me put it this way. In the event that Biden-Harris is successful and is elected in November, I think there is a very strong possibility that eight years from now, we would be looking at a Biden, uh, a Harris rather, presidency. I'm going to have to cut you off there, but it was it was such a Thank pleasure you. to have you on. That was State House Representative Gilda Cobb-Hunter. We will be right back. of traffic deaths involve drunk driving. If your friend had too much to drink, they don't have to drive. Here are three ways to keep your friend alive. Drive them home and be careful. Have your friend stay over. Or call a cab or Uber. You don't have to be a superhero to save a life. Be a bro, take their keys. Driving sober is the easiest way to decrease your risk of accidents. Good night. Brought to you by The Cool Kids. Stay cool, cat. You're listening to Politically Inclined from WSC News. I'm Justin Walsh. The U.S. Postal Service has been a hot topic in Washington this year, as it faces significant financial losses in the face of scrutiny from President Trump. Without continued support from Congress and the Trump administration, the USPS faces a major funding shortage. The Trump administration has fought against the idea of increased mail-in voting across the country in November due to the coronavirus pandemic, citing concerns of voter fraud. This past Saturday, the U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation to provide $25 billion to USPS, uh, but now it faces Republican-led Senate. The politicization of the USPS could have major implications for November's election. Here to talk with me about the debate is USC political science professor Kirk Rendazzo. Dr. Rendazzo, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Always. Um, so to start off, uh, in your professional opinion, why is defunding, uh, why is the defunding of the USPS such a big deal right now? Well, I think the, the biggest issue is the fact that the Postal Service, which has been around since the beginning of the United States, is so integrated into all aspects of society that we kind of forget how much we rely on those services. Absolutely. And so talk to me a little bit about um, what is your overall take on the concept of the mail-in ballots, especially in the face of the coronavirus with this whole not everybody's able to go in to vote in person. So what are your, what's your take on like mail-in ballots right now? Well, here's the thing. So the United States has had a mail-in ballot ever since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And there, there have been countless number of studies and research done by political scientists to see if there's any kind of fraud or misbehavior with mail-in ballots, and every single study comes back to say that there has been no evidence whatsoever of any kind of systematic issues. We see things periodically with people trying to manipulate that system, and typically they get caught because it's relatively easy to identify when fraud may happen, but these are small, isolated events And so I don't think that there's any evidence supporting what the current president alleges is a problem with that process. 
Yes, exactly. And that actually leads to my next question right now. I know you touched on it a little bit, but can you tell me, do you believe that the Trump administration is justified in any way for cutting the, for the shortage of funding right now? No, and I actually think it's somewhat short-sighted because if you look at the election results from mail-in ballots in the past, they tend to skew towards the Republican Party because they're primarily senior citizens that tend to vote more Republican than Democrat and military who happen to also vote more Republican than Democrat. So this is potentially shooting, uh, sort of shooting themselves in the foot as far as returns for the Republican Party. Yes, exactly. And um, so I know that the Trump administration, the whole debacle there has been like that the USPS shouldn't be trusted just for the sake of like fraud. But um, do you believe that the USPS and the whole postal system should be considered as much of a threat as they are right now? Is there a little bit out of proportion or like an exaggeration? What's your take on that? I I think it's a complete exaggeration. I think the Postal Service, by pretty much any measure that's out there, is the most reliable and the most respected branch of government out of the entire federal system. So any allegations of impropriety or bad things happening at the post, post office that's just not true. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed that more individuals, especially on the Republican side, aren't standing up in defense of the post office because this is a time when they need that support. Absolutely. And I know you touched on this a little bit, but I just want to bring up, um, so in the face of the pandemic, exactly, do you think that Trump's disapproval of the idea of mail-in ballots has anything to do with protecting his standing? Because obviously the politics and like, He's in hot water based off the whole how the pandemic was handled. Do you think that has any correlation as to like why he's disapproving of mail-in ballots? I, th- I think what we have seen from, from Trump over the last three and a half years are attempts at sort of misdirection and attempts to sort of plant the seeds of doubt in the minds of, of average Americans. And I think this is just one of those other aspects. I mean, he has come out repeatedly and said the only way that he would lose is if there's fraud or corruption in the election. And again, that's just not the case. Uh, But I think he's trying to plant that seed of doubt in the minds of people in case he loses in November. Yes, yes, I know that's the that's the case for a lot. That's a lot of people's perspectives right now. But um, so being the director of USC's Judicial Research Initiative and as well as being so familiarized with the topic of political science, do you have any ideas or opinions on how this cut in funding will, will affect the upcoming, uh, like upcoming election, how that like, will turn it out cha- and change anything, perhaps? Well, I, I, I don't think it'll affect the election really at all, just given the fact that there is so much scrutiny now on what's happening with the Postal Service. But I do think it's going to affect other aspects of life, like getting medications or getting Social Security checks, things that people rely on in order to survive. I think that very much is going to be affected. And we've seen those disruptions already taking a toll on just sort of average citizens. Yes, no doubt. Um, And Last but not least, I just want to leave you with something. Um, for all of our listeners who are worried that their votes may not be counted or who are a little skeptical about going in person in the face of the pandemic, do you have any words to leave them with regarding, like, actions that should be taken or just 
anything in the future? So I would say a couple of things. One, for people that are planning to vote in person, I would just encourage them to get to the polls a little bit earlier than they might have otherwise, because chances are the lines are going to be a little bit longer. And I think everybody needs to take that into account. And for those that don't want to vote in person, I think the mail-in option is certainly going to be perfectly fine. I don't think there will be any issues. And if people are concerned, they can actually print off their ballots and take them directly to the elections office and just drop it there and not even have to put it in the mail. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Rendazzo, for joining us. That was Dr. Kurt Rendazzo, a USC political science major, uh, professor, my apologies. Um, And that's all. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Politically Inclined. Make sure to tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. for the week's biggest political stories. Politically Inclined is a production by WSC News and is produced by Stephanie Justice and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Politically Inclined is Julie Crosby, and the music for Politically Inclined is called Fluffy by Smith the Mister. You can go find other news shows at WUSC Podcast at garnetmediagroup.org. Live from WUSC News in Columbia, I'm Lydia Blackstone. And I'm Justin Walsh. This is Politically Inclined.